Hey there, and welcome back to Developing Developers. We are kicking off a new series today called Digging Deeper, where we will really dig into topics that are under the surface of a development project. Hopefully you can take a little nugget from each episode as we continue to press in and dig deeper. To start us off, I want to discuss the topic of site selection. This is a critical beginning point in the development process because you have to understand what sites are out there, what to look for, and what your end goal is, whether you're a real estate developer, a business owner looking to relocate or expand, an economic developer, or if you play another role in the development industry. I have the opportunity today to talk with Logan Dawson, a senior project manager with One Columbus. Logan has experience in the economic development world with site selection, financial incentive packaging, handling investment programs, and managing other opportunities that come to Columbus. He's exposed to the many different foundational aspects of all the projects all around our region. So thank you, Logan, for joining yeah, me today. You, Are you ready to start digging deeper? I'm very excited <laughs> to start digging deeper. That's awesome. <laughs> I appreciate pun, the pun, pun intended. Too. <laughs> yes. Um, so what is your career experience and how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I have spent the entirety of my decade-long career and professional life in economic development and development finance. Um, many people in the field, I, I think you've talked, at least with Kenny mm -hmm. um, and probably some of these other players around the region um, who, when they talk about their story, um, they end up getting involved in the profession or the development world through happenstance or some non-intentional efforts. Um, for me, that's that's not a fair assessment of how I got into it. I was I was pretty intentional about it. So um, started when um, I was going to school at Ohio State, and like many people, I had no idea what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Um, but I knew that I was interested in business. I knew I was interested in economics, um, liked a little bit of history, and I wanted to do something that I felt would be sustainable for a career and not just um, a job. And in order to do that, I felt like it had to, for me, had to be something that would um, provide me with fulfillment. So had an impact, extra credit if I thought the work would help other people in their lives. Um, and it just had to be something that was was bigger than myself. So um, I don't know if that comes off completely naive or millennial. Absolutely not. No. <laughs> yeah. I think many people can resonate with that. Yeah. So, um, but it's, it's just been incredibly important to me. So um, anyways, I was, I was dabbling in various courses there at Ohio State, was doing some business. Um, there was a newly formed undergraduate program for city and regional planning, which has and, and is still historically um, and a lot, across a lot of colleges a graduate-level program. Um, so Ohio State started an undergraduate program. I took one class completely hooked, like captured all my curiosity. Um, and I, I, I wasn't sure at the time or, or even by the time I graduated exactly what that would mean for me in my career, um, but I committed myself to the program. So... Um, Fast forward, this is 2012, I'm graduating, zero job prospects. Um, and thankfully, my dad, um, shout out to my dad, um, <laughs> promised me a job anytime I needed it in the family business. So I'm back home, I'm living with dad, um, I'm slinging pizzas, managing a small pizza shop. Um, again, shout out to my dad. He sets me up with a meeting with Eric Phillips, who 
is a local economic developer in our region. It's really sort of a legend um, uh, amongst the economic development community here. So um, went in for a meeting with Eric, told him about my interest, told him I would work on anything that he needed help with around there. I was just trying to break in. Um, and most importantly, I'd do it for free. So um, volunteer by day, delivering pizzas, slinging pizzas by night. Um, and Eric started opening up some of his network to me, um, started getting me involved in um, Columbus 2020 at the time um, in an, a big annual event that they put on, um, which is introducing me to his colleagues, his peers around the region um, and helping me kind of freshen up my resume. So um, I had done that for about three or four months, um, reached out to an old professor to get a letter of recommendation. And his response was, why don't you just come in for an interview? And so I was like, oh my gosh, yes, great. Um, boom, door opens. I was through it. Um, and I spent my first two years at the Council of Development Finance Agencies, um, which is a national organization. They do a lot of education resource stuff for local county, state um, economic development groups and um, in infrastructure development finance. So um, fast forward a couple years from there, my, my girlfriend, who's now my lovely wife, graduates. Um, she gets a job opportunity to go work for Kohl's Corporate up in Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. Um, I thought if we were going anywhere, it would be south um, from Columbus, but um, it was Menominee Falls, Wisconsin. So um, off we went. And that was really when I started getting heavily involved in the economic development side. Um, I got a position um, with Racine County, which is close to the Illinois-Wisconsin border, just south of Milwaukee, um, doing business attraction work. And spent a few years doing that, um, got to travel a lot um, internationally, nationally, um, and ended up making a transition to their regional group, um, Milwaukee 7, where I was leading all of our business attraction and um, existing company expansion projects. We had this streak where um, our team was involved in the attraction of two of Wisconsin's largest foreign direct investment projects in their history, one being Haribo Gummy Bears, um, setting up their first U U.S. manufacturing facility. Um, incredible company, inc incredible project. The one that um, many people are familiar with is um, the second one, Foxconn. Um, it was at the beginning of Trump's presidency, um, Foxconn, who, who makes all the products for Apple, um, announced that they're going to have a, a $10 billion investment in U.S. manufacturing. So um, we ended up securing that investment um, after a lengthy site selection process. Columbus actually was the number two. Um, it's been published wow. at this point. I'm not breaking any <laughs> secrets. Um, and so I I knew a couple of the people back on the Columbus 2020 team, um, uh, Matt McAllister in particular. And that time, I had a couple things going on in my personal life and um, was thinking about moving back to Columbus. Um, it just, all these things kind of culminated together. Um, Matt reached out. They had a job opportunity. Um, 
And now I have been back with Columbus 2020, now one Columbus for the last four years doing economic development. So Wow. Yeah. What, a, what a story. Yeah. And that's a new one because yeah. a lot of times it is people go to school for something else and then they don't really know what they want to do for a few years and they just kind of, they do fall yes. into it without that direct desire to do something in the development world. Right. Um, and I think that's really cool because you bring something to the table that is different and new and um, almost a, a new passion for it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'd say like, I mean, nobody's career is like without those um, serendipitous moments. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. All of that happened within my network. Like mm -hmm. those people helping me or like yeah. Eric putting me on and then somebody taking a chance on me in Wisconsin, like all those things happened. Um, it wasn't like, Hey, I want to do this. I'm going to get a degree. Therefore it's right. going to happen. Yeah. I got yeah. really lucky um, in other ways mm -hmm. to get exposure to this. Well, that's great. Thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and I, I know with economic development, we've talked to, about it a little bit on this podcast with um, Scott Zions. We did some economic development incentives uh, and then Kenny McDonald and some others have talked um, about that. But what is your role in the development process and then individually with developers? Where do you step in? Sure. So so anything I say here that's out of line with, with what Kenny previously said, just default to that. <laughs> just go back um, and listen. Yes, go yeah. back and listen to that, which which I did. Um, so, so as an economic developer, um, I was thinking about this and I, we come in and out of play in a variety of roles throughout the development process. It, it, it really depends on how the organization, the economic development organization structured, what development finance tools exist at the state and the, the local levels. Um, and then really the skill sets in the background of the individual practitioner. Um, so over my career, I've been able to dabble and continue to dabble um, in a lot of different areas, um, primarily on the front end, though. So so I we do a lot with site identification and due diligence. Um, it's, it's probably the biggest part. So assisting with understanding the what's possible um, from utility services, infrastructure, at what cost, over what time. Um, if it's not zoned properly, what does that process look like? Um, so we do a lot of that with specific end users as well as developers. And from there, um, we sort of, before it gets into the actual formation of the deal and you're putting the capital stack together and everything else, from there, um, we're also helping um, provide market intelligence. So what is our pipeline? What is our um, insight into market activity look like? Um, we're giving that to communities and to development partners so that they can figure out, you know, what is, what's happening in the market? Um, what are the requirements that a lot of these end users are coming forward with? Do we have inventory to be able to capture that opportunity? Um, and it's, if we're lacking, where can we develop some solutions? Um, so that was primarily up until two years ago, our involvement in the process. Two years ago, Jobs Ohio came out with what's known as the Ohio Sites Inventory Program, which was a recognition that the state of Ohio has, has gone through 10 years of pretty aggressive growth, 
absorption of not just um, existing square footage, but land as well. And we were getting to the point where peers of ours and competitors of ours were able to put forward real estate options that um, allowed the company to get to the market quicker, um, whether that would be an existing building or just a fully shovel-ready site. And so Jobs Ohio took an aggressive effort. They put $250 million together over five years, and they're directly funding, um, whether that's loans or grants, um, both land and building development. Um, so I know you had Brant on here, and that's, mm-hmm. that's actually yeah. how I met Brant, um, was through the process of, of this program. And so um, it allows us to actually play a role in that deal formation mm-hmm. and the deal structuring, this capital structuring. Um, and it's been, it's been an incredible opportunity to build some new partnerships because that's an area where we really didn't play. We were really focused on the end user. And so now this is kind of wrapping it all together. We're, we're always working with our communities. And then we were end user and now getting to play in the development world more. It's, it's rounded that out. And I think it helps us understand the full connectivity of it all. And it helps the other partners too. Um, so it's been, that's, that's a lot of what we do when it comes to specific development. Yeah. And that's one of my favorite things about economic development is you're kind of the middleman and you're, you're sort of always the good guy because you're helping both sides of, you know, <laughs> Depends you're, who you ask. Yeah, yeah I, I know. I'm like, I said that yeah. with hesitancy, yeah. but mm-hmm. it's also like from everyone's perspective, you're like the bridge to get to where everybody mm-hmm. wants to go and your motives are are pure. You know, you want the best for the community. You want the best for developers. That actually does lead me to another question. With One Columbus and Jobs Ohio and possibly any others that you can think of, what are, how do you guys sort of work together? What is the difference there and how does, where is their overlap? Difference Um, between Jobs Ohio and One Columbus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so we are, um, it depends who we're speaking to, um, the messaging changes a little bit, um, and it's it's not to um, just be able to tell people what they want. It's um, because the relationship really is that dynamic. So we are um, Jobs Ohio Network Partners okay. um, is a term that, that we use internally with Jobs Ohio. So we contract to provide Jobs Ohio services within our 11-county region. Um, so if I'm talking with a company, a lot of times what I'll say is, we are the service provider to Jobs Ohio. We're just that local team who's more plugged into the local economy, our partners. We can spend the time in the market connecting with the individual developers, with the communities, with the businesses. And so we spend a lot of our time being the boots on the ground um, while Jobs Ohio is um, administering shepherding, overseeing, and kind of setting the stage for which we all operate and play within. Um, Now, on individual projects, we're working hand-in-hand. We'll be doing a lot of the interfacing. Um, We'll be sort of the the main point of contact in a lot of cases um, where we're providing information, exchanging information, requesting um, information from various partners, putting together and structuring responses to proposals, um, to requests, um, to incentive offerings, um, workforce solutions, things like that. We work hand in hand on all of that. Um, 
there there shouldn't to to someone who's coming in um, and going through a site selection process or um, relocating or pursuing um, incentives to expand an existing facility that they already have here, there sh- they shouldn't perceive there to be much of a difference. They should view us one in the same. Okay. Um, it just allows us to have a little bit of autonomy mm-hmm. um, from Jobs Ohio to to do some other things beyond just those Jobs Ohio services. And so um, we we get a portion of our funding from them, obviously, and then we get um, funding from a lot of our local partners, um, county, uh, municipal partners, and um, then we get a lot from the private sector. And so that allows us to go out and do, in addition to what Jobs Ohio is doing, um, be very aggressive with marketing, um, have assets, digital and um, personnel in other countries um, to travel, to invest in having the best talent on our team, um, technology, which is a huge part of what everybody's doing now. Um, and so it, it allows us to use the Jobs Ohio platform as a basis and then do a little bit more beyond it. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes okay. sense. And it's all kind of clicking in my brain how it's it starts macro and it can become as micro as economic developers within cities. Yep. And then like they play a part in the county yep. and in the state of Ohio. So yep. Yep. we can we can start digging into site okay. selection specifically okay. now that Let's we're you know almost twenty minutes in. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so what is the site selection process and what are potentially some things developers need to know before they start to look at potential sites or businesses need to know before they start to decide where they want to go? Sure. So so site selection is simply a term that's used to describe the process that companies go through when they're working to identify, evaluate, or vet, and then ultimately select um, a specific property for their business, either for a specific type of operation, um, say it's manufacturing, um, or it's warehousing for them, um, could be a headquarters or just an all-in-one relocation, um, but it's it's that process they go through to find a solution, a real estate solution that allows them to expand, consolidate, or relocate. So um, there can be a lot of variation and a lot of different approaches that people take um, to the site selection process. Um, And it it really does vary project to project, user to user, and then um, operation to operation. So like an office project site selection process follows the same rough outline, same general outline, but looks a little bit different than a manufacturing um, project. So in general, I would say it's a, on the front end, a quantitative analysis um, that's being done. And on the back side is when the qualitative pieces start coming in. So um, we had a, internally, we had a, um, a staff retreat a couple years ago, and we started thinking about like, okay, how do we explain what economic development is, mm-hmm. what our role is? And so we left that um, with with something along the lines of 
many companies don't understand the impact of location on the success mm -hmm. of their business. And so we work with them to help them um, evaluate options in the Columbus market to help them select the best location for their business. And um, that really highlights the importance of the site selection process, but then also economic development teams and what we do. So if you think about like all the major overhead items that a business has to account for, um, things like taxes, logistics, utilities, workforce, your community amenities and housing is becoming a bigger and bigger part of this. Um, pretty much all the elements of the cost of doing business are informed or dictated by your location. Um, and so companies recognize that, advisors certainly recognize that, economic developers certainly recognize that. Um, and so it's it's been a practice that's been out there for a while. Um, for developers, I think, um, and for economic developers and communities, before looking at potential sites and spinning up a bunch of activity, I would recommend, or I think it's best to start with just assessing the market, mm -hmm. um, going through your SWATs, like what are your strengths, what are your weaknesses, what are your opportunities, your threats, what does the local economy currently support? And are there potential gaps that you think it could support but are just not being offered? Um, so once you sort of have your understanding of the market, then it's it's next level where um, you're really trying to understand the infrastructure outline um, within the community, the utility systems. Where are they? Where are they not? Um, a lot of times is what this is. Site selection is, um, we say, um, a process of elimination, not selection. Um, same thing goes goes here for for developers. And so understanding what those utility capabilities and that infrastructure capacity are and what they can support um, and if that aligns with the product or project you believe that the market needs or can support um, and getting that alignment will help you narrow in. And then once you have that, I think it's it's critical to go into those communities. Um, and you see a lot of really good developers doing this. They have the relationships and they've identified those areas already. And then they're building the relationships with their community partners um, to help with, okay, if the infrastructure is not there, how can we get it there? Um, what does that cost? What does that look like? What support is available um, to help enable that? Um, what is your per what's your zoning and your permitting look like? Do you want this type of use? Um, okay, no. Well, wh well, what do you guys want? What are you looking for? Um, and do we have alignment there? And so, when you get to the point where you have that alignment and you've done sort of all your your background and your market due diligence, that's when it's time to like really just start focusing in like on those areas. Um, where are their opportunities? Where are their parcels? Where are their existing buildings? Like, where is that opportunity? And from there, it's just doing what developers do best, which is putting deals together. Yeah. Something our team talks about a lot is you do have to say no to more than you're oh, going to yeah. say yes to, obviously. Oh, yeah. Right. And, and yeah. just because it's a no today 
doesn't mm-hmm. mean 12 months from now it's not going to yes. be a, a strong yes. Mm-hmm. Um, whether the market changes or just the dynamics of that site change, um, it can change. It, it can evolve so quickly. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not out there looking at this stuff, having conversations, um, getting the feedback from the market, taking that back, having the conversation with the community, and just churning through properties and sites to find one, um, you're probably not going to be in a great position when that future deal comes to go like, okay, I already know. I know that area. We were close. Mm -hmm. It was just a little off. Let's go back to it. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we're closer. Let's see if we still can get a deal done there. Um, That historic knowledge and context in those relationships are how we're able to do a lot of what what we do um, in this kind of environment where there's not a lot of land availability. Mm -hmm. Um, Our inventory is below 2%, I think, right now. Um, And so it's just extremely tight. So doing that and having those relationships, having that like constant visibility to the deals and evaluating opportunities is, is I think the people that are successful right now have been doing that for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And you almost have to keep them on your radar in the back of your mind and to be ready for anything to happen in the market because you never know what this market will do. So I can imagine that's difficult, but I think that for the right site, it's worth it to try to continue to press in and do your research and build those relationships. Um, So who ultimately are the decision makers when it comes to site selection? And kind of what I mean by that is I think there's so many different parties involved and who has the ultimate yes in a project. Right. Right. If anybody. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to, so I'll answer the question first and then I'll back up (laughs) a little bit. I'll unwind where I go. So for for me and in my experience, the, the ultimate decision maker ends up being the company, Mm -hmm. um, the corporation, the end user who's going to occupy that site or that development. Um, ultimately it's, it's their capital. They're going to live with that decision if not for many years, many decades. Um, and so I say that, but it's not to discount like what we've talked about partnership, mm-hmm. like all these different parties, because earlier on in the process um, and, and even late in the game, if you get to a point where any of those parties, the, the community um, or the property owner, a property developer um, representatives say, no, like this deal doesn't work for us. We don't like it. Um, that can kill the deal. And so you have to have that marriage. But a lot of times when companies are going through the site selection process, they have, they have options, frankly, um, not just in your market, but in other markets. Um, they've done the due diligence. They feel confident that um, they can make that work. And honestly, they've, they've eliminated at this point um, any community where they have concerns may not be supportive of the project. Um, and so to me, it's, it comes down to the company and the end user. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're ultimately the ones that are 
you know, the, yeah, you're yeah. right, the end user, which yeah. is exactly. They're, they're married to it. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking about this as you're explaining the whole process. From a developer's perspective, how do they strategically think about lands with the end in mind? Would they go to you, you guys first and, and say, this is what we have. This is our thought. Do you have any businesses that are looking for this type of thing? Or do you guys sort of go to developers and say, this is a business that we have and we're looking at this land? Yeah. How it's, does that kind of work? It's all over. Um, and it's a little bit of both. Um, typically developers by, I mean, they'll certainly contact us and say, hey, we're looking around this area. Um, this is kind of what we're thinking in terms of size um, and use. How does that sound? Mm -hmm. Like, is that something you think would have success? Is that something you guys have a lot of deal activity around? Is that an area of the region where that type of project is is desired? Um, and we'll give them all that feedback and we'll give them the data, um, whatever data we have to, to help support it and, and sometimes give them historical context of, hey, maybe some people have already kicked the tires on that site um, or other developers and, and here's why it didn't end up working. Um, not to say that that kills the deal, but, you know, just help them understand a little bit. For For us, that's a lot of kind of what we can assist with, they need to many times go to the next level, which is speaking with the community. Mm -hmm. um, where's the infrastructure? So we'll happily make those connections, but they need to eventually get to their local municipality of who's providing the utilities, who's in control of that. Are there any development impediments to the site? Um, what is the community's vision for that area? And is there alignment? Um, and so I think a developer is trying to make sure that – because they're taking on risk. I mean, mm -hmm. and they're, they're laying out the capital. And so are they going to not just have a product that addresses the market and meets a market need, but do they have partners who will help them get there from it being – either raw land or improved land, raw land being utilities aren't there, improved land being it's, it's got them stubbed to it. It's kind of ready to go. They, they definitely want to know that before they start laying down significant capital. Mm -hmm. That's helpful for me because I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, okay, what is my next step in this process? And, and yeah, you want to contact the engineers and everybody mm -hmm. else too and do all the yeah, due diligence. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think first calls are like, okay, is anybody opposed to this? Uh -huh. is, it, is anybody going to raise a flag and right. be like, this is crazy? Mm -hmm. um, yep. And if not, let's go to the next step. Yeah. So with site selection, I know obviously we recently secured Intel. We, as if I had anything to do with that. Um, <laughs> uh, trust me, it, it was a community lift. <laughs> um, so how can site selection like that, like them choosing Columbus, make a difference in the community um, and in Ohio in general yeah. and then specifically Columbus? Yeah, I, um, I don't – I hope that, um, you know, in, in – my lifetime, I'll be able to see the full ramifications of 
Intel mm-hmm. um, because it's going to be, I think, bigger than e- anyone who's even close to the deal right now can imagine. And at the same time, the rest of the market is going to continue to evolve. Um, we think a lot about individual projects. Not not all of them are Intel, but combined, I mean, our, our team has done like 600 projects in the last 10 years. And the combination of those things is can, can shift and change people's lives. When you get to the scale of Intel, I'm, I was, when we were going through this, all I could think of was the last time we had something that was even close to being that big. And it like, it, it started to hit home for me because um, I grew up in Marysville and, you know, Honda came here in the eighties and set up. They, there was nothing here automotive industry wise at the time. Um, fast forward, they employ tens of thousands of people. Their entire supply chain is here. They are, you go into Ohio Stadium and their name's up there. They're engaged in all the higher ed. They're engaged locally. Their giving is huge. We have Japanese um, chambers of commerce and we've got international trade going. We have sister cities. And I remember, you know, just being younger and growing up and like in Marysville, everybody's got the white suits on and it it completely changed my life. So I was the my my wife and I so we're both from Marysville um dads and families worked out at Honda first generation to go to college like first generation to do all sorts of stuff wow. and all of that was possible and the fact that like my dad will be able to retire and Taylor's parents will retire like those were things that they weren't going to have if they lived in Union County um, they could have, and they could have done it, but what they were doing was not going to provide them with all those opportunities and then provide next generation me with the opportunity to take advantage of that. So it's like you get this multi-generational thing where you, you build it and then that next generation can build upon that. And all of a sudden, you know, you have me living in mm-hmm. German village in Columbus doing white collar work, mm-hmm. like being a professional. And um, it's incredible. And it makes me think like it tied it. It was like full circle for me. Wow. Like, back to economic development, back yeah. to why we do this, why it's important. Um, and so, yeah, that's. That's that's my take. That's amazing. And I'm sure there's hundreds of other stories like yours, and there will be hundreds and thousands of stories like that now with Intel. Yep. Um, and I think that inspires people to want to continue to grow our community yeah. and to help economic development and be a good developer and, yes. you know, with the interests of others in mind, um, because I do think it it just makes a difference in a community. Absolutely. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. So uh, just a couple more questions. I think um, when it comes to the market, obviously it's growing. What are some challenges with site selection that you think might come up in the coming years? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think if you, if you talk to, at this point, if you talk to an experienced industrial broker, um, 
a lot of what I'm going to say isn't new. Um, certainly the developers know it, but the thing with real estate is it doesn't change quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think we're a lot of what you're going to hear today, um, in the marketplace will be things that we're still dealing with in the future in a couple of years. Um, so lack of availability, um, both on, um, building side and on land side, um, increased scarcity, um, and competition because of that scarcity, um, is going to drive costs up, which is going to drive costs up for the end user. And then you're going to have to take the chance that, Hey, the market is going to support rents at this rate in the future on and on and on. It just kind of, it, it just gets baked into your pro forma. Um, and it gets passed down because you've got to get those returns, pay the bank, everything else. Um, utility wise, um, I think we we need to start seeing large scale investments into our infrastructure on the utility side, water, wastewater, natural gas, electricity. Um, and you're seeing it and you're but it's it's more in areas of the community. I think we need real like a regional investment into our infrastructure. And um, I'm excited about some of the things that we're hearing. On the transportation side, um, Morpsey's been a real thought leader in, in a lot of that. and um, But we need to do it in other areas. And then all this, all this stuff that I think you probably hear, like volatility of pricing, um, lead times on materials, and just that uncertainty. And sprinkle in like, okay, this inflation thing, like are, is the Fed going to continue raising rates? And how does that impact... Developers, like for me, I have not worked in a recession, in a, in a economic contraction period. And I've never worked in a high interest rate market environment. Um, and so I think we're going to have to lean on some people who have done that. We're structuring deals mm -hmm. then, like are comfortable with it. Um, because I think the first thing that people will want to do is well, let's wait and see. And that's, we can't, like, we're already behind on development. Yeah. Like, we can't slow down and do, like, wait and see. And so proactive. we just got to yeah. go. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be a hell of a lot of uncertainty that you're looking at when you're doing that deal. So um, <laughs> I don't know if I have the gut to be a developer. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, kudos to them. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely is a lot of risk, which is also where I struggle, where it's you just don't know what's on the other side. I think people have grown more comfortable with that, with COVID and everything. Um, but at the same time, I'm sure that has traumatized people into wanting to retreat to what's comfortable yeah. and what doesn't feel risky because you just right. never know what could happen. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of fun living on the edge, you know, and just putting it out there. And But uh, that's what Bob Weiler had said on this podcast. He said, you have to have, oh, I'm forgetting what it, exactly it was, deep pockets and a lot of time because it's just time and money is what development it's, takes. It's so, it's, he's exactly right. Like we, when we're talking with people, and they're like, well, can you do this? Can you do that? It's like, yeah. 
How I mean, much time ev- and money do you yes, have? Yes, yeah. exactly. It's always down to a factor of time and money. Mm-hmm. And somewhere there's a squeeze. Yeah. And it's not yeah. going to work for somebody. Right, yeah. Um, but if you have all the money and all the time in the world, you're, you can make it work. Then this is for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I, no, I'm... I think everyone resonates with that, though, because nobody has unlimited time and money. So you do have to be strategic. And that's, you know, where there's probably a line between being successful in it and trying to figure out how else you can make things work. So what advice do you have for the developing developers of the world? If someone's listening to this and they're just starting in the development world and they don't know much about economic development and site selection, what advice do you have for them? Um. Do what you're doing. <laughs> like get out there, um, build your network, ask people questions and learn from them and their experiences. Like, you know, obviously like be a good person, mm-hmm. like do those fundamental things and be genuine. And there's so many people who have really interesting backgrounds, have really interesting experiences. And this isn't a big world like there's there's so many people who touch the development across our entire region and so um if you have the opportunity and you have interest in getting involved in that um just go out there and learn from them like they're happy to talk to people most people probably have no idea what these guys do Mm. and gals do day to day and um they would love to share and there's, I don't, I don't think that there's um, anybody who I've come across at the economic development side or the development side who said I'm not interested in sharing more or helping somebody out in the industry. Yeah, because right? it's sort of also your natural passion. Probably is helping yeah. other people and wanting yeah. to, you know, grow. Yeah. So. So just grow your network. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and then, so what is your favorite thing about Columbus and what do you enjoy doing outside of work when you're not working on bettering the community? It's so easy. Um, by far my favorite thing to do is go around eating and drinking Mm. all that Columbus has to offer. That's what Robbie Banks said. She said the food. Just like new restaurant opens. I'm there. Mm -hmm. Um, New speakeasies coming Mm -hmm. around. I'm trying to get in line. Like, I love that stuff. I I love people watching and all of that. And just, like, being out in the community. Um, And so, especially these last few years, um, my wife and I are just, like, our weekends and even our vacations have been like this. It's, like, they're planned around what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? Like, how are we going to engage like locally and Mm -hmm. um, explore the environment around those places? That's so fun. Yeah. I love that. I think Columbus has some great options to offer. And only getting better. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, I'm so excited for everyone to get to hear this and I really appreciate your time just coming here and talking about site selection and uh, your story. So thank you so much for digging a little deeper. Yeah. Thank you, Allie.